0: He He killed me, my sins far
1: away. And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bibles to Joel chapter 1. Our so-called unanswered prayers will be considered today. Plus, the following questions emerge. How do we interpret the events of our lives? Have we forgotten how sinful we are? Will personal disaster wake us out of our sin slumber? And what do we do after getting a divine spanking? And now, with this message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott.
0: Do we interpret our lives well? How do you view your failures? How do you assess your pain? How do you view your trials? How do you assess your unanswered prayer? Which, by the way, is a non sequitur. A non sequitur in Latin means it doesn't follow. There really is no such thing as unanswered prayer. The deal is there are three possible answers to every prayer. Yes, no, and wait. And what we have done when we say God has left that prayer unanswered is we conclude that a wait is a no and a no isn't an answer. That the only answer to a prayer is yes. There are three possible answers to every prayer yes, no, or wait. God answers every prayer. How do you view your financial losses if you have them? How do you interpret your job loss? How do you assess your disease? How do you view your family funerals? So much of life is interpretation. Back in the Lord Jesus' day, a disaster happened. A large tower in Siloam collapsed and killed 18 people, remember? And observers of that tragedy wondered out loud if those 18 individuals who were killed by the tower were more sinful and more deserving of judgment than the rest in Siloam who were spared. Were they bigger sinners? And therefore they died when the tower collapsed and the others were lesser sinners and they didn't die? Well, Jesus answered. And he didn't answer that they were worse sinners, nor did he tritely answer, well, accidents will happen. I suppose God had a momentary lapse of paying attention. I'll speak to him about being a little more careful going forward. Of course not. Jesus said no such things. This is what Jesus actually answered. Quote, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. That was Jesus' answer. Luke 13, 2-5. And Jesus' perfect answer teaches us something worth learning. And it's this. The question, why would disaster fall on them, is the wrong question. And the question, why did God strike those innocent people, is the wrong question, too. Because the right question is, why haven't all these disasters come on me? Why haven't we been destroyed? And the reason that we ask the wrong questions, i.e., why would disaster fall on them, And we don't ask the question, why haven't disasters fallen on us? Here's the problem. We have forgotten how sinful we are. We have amnesia about how we fall short of God's standard. We have also forgotten that, generally speaking, it takes a disaster of unparalleled proportions to wake us up from our sin's slumber. When I used to play hockey on the frozen ponds of Canada, Exerting and skating and having a good time. When I came into a warm house, I fell asleep like that. The warmth of the house, the exertion, the fresh air just knocked me out to a sleep. I had an exercise, hockey, cold day slumber. But we so easily fall into a sin slumber. And we're sleeping at the switch about confessing sin. And we really don't think we're that sinful compared to Sally or Billy. And so I think we have forgotten in many cases that it takes a disaster of an unparalleled proportion to wake us up from our sin's slumber. You saw this up close and personal even more than I did when I was in Ontario But a few Sundays immediately after 9-11, America's churches and synagogues were standing room only full because a disaster of unparalleled proportion had woken up the people out of their sin slumber. Generally speaking, it only takes a disaster of unparalleled proportion to wake us up from our sin's lethargy. You know that those churches... In those synagogues had plenty of seats to offer worshipers within a month. So don't miss it. Joel's point in his prophecy was that both the delays in God's judgment, that is the periods of God's grace, and the previews of judgment in such catastrophic events as the locust plagues and the earthquakes are for our good that we might repent. Back in 1983, it's a while ago now, my second year at Dallas Seminary, second year of being married. Back in 1983, Philadelphia-based pastor James Montgomery Boyce wrote a commentary. I invite you to listen to what Pastor Boyce wrote way back then on the historic locust attack on Judah that he was seeing and what was happening and what would happen. And I quote, In America, we have not seen many disasters of this magnitude But few would deny that times are not good and that even worse times may lie ahead. We have not had earthquakes of the size of the one at Lisbon, but our cities have been ravaged by blight and riot, by corruption and by other forms of decay. We have not been destroyed by locusts, but we have seen our economy weakened by the declining value of the dollar and intolerable balance of payments deficit and shortages of oil and other necessities. We have had droughts. Are we to say such things happen? Are we to blame Russia or communism or Iran or Islam? No doubt God does use causes and the opposition of these or other countries may be among them, but the wise will see these things as having come from God and lead us in personal and national repentance. End of quote. So much of life is interpretation. And so I ask you, what do you do after a divine spanking? What do I do after a divine spanking? Hopefully, we get truly sorry for what we have done to get this spanking. And hopefully, we purpose not to do that thing again. So you ask, did ancient Judah at the time of Joel, did that part of Israel's history, did those people get sorry and turn around after their divine spanking? We'll find out in our future sermons in the book of Joel. Heavenly Father, we thank you in your love that you spank us occasionally. We thank you that you provide remedy for repentance and that you stand ready and willing to lavish your mercy and grace upon us as we confess our sin lord we would pray that if you are calling us to fast at some point this new week that we would and that we would lift up the concerns of our lives to you in prayer the concerns of the nation to you in prayer lord we would pray that we would Be anxious and eager to be yielded and obedient children of yours. We thank you that we have so many advantages over the ancient Jew of Joel's day. We have a completed Bible. We have a new covenant. We have the identity of the Savior. We have trusted him, and he has saved us. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who permanently lives within us. He just doesn't visit for special tasks. Lord, may we use these spiritual advantages not to be lethargic or apathetic or in a sin slumber, but may we use these advantages to be awake, responsive, alert to the knowing and the doing of your will. We'll be careful to praise you for all those sanctification blessings we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas and this is another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to continue on our series Jesus and the Image. And just a reminder of where we have been already um, since I know that we took a break over our Easter resurrection celebrations. In Lesson 1, we talked about how Jesus called us to deny ourselves, meaning our image is to be driven more by who God is and less by who we are. We also looked at evaluating the image as we present to the world, whether it's focused more on us or on Christ. We also looked at the second lesson as we looked at brokenness, and we looked at this in two parts, that we don't have to hide our brokenness from God or the world. And also, we need to let down our God and express to God where we are most broken and where we need His presence the most. And just a reminder for us as we consider our image and we consider our, our lives as believers, that we need to be betraying Christ in all that we do. And it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. You know, when those tough times come, we can always rely on God. But today we want to talk about you are what you do. And when we consider this and we look at this, we can look at our actions and we can tell the type of person that we come in contact with. You see, a lot of times as people say, the first impression is everything. When you come to find out and look at someone for the very first time or talk to them, you really find out what type of person they are. And, and the word of God tells us that as we look at this morning in Luke chapter 6, verse 43, it talks about our fruit and what are we bearing in our lives? What are we people seeing? The reality is, is that if we consider a tree and we consider a fruit tree and we consider a cherry tree, when we go to a cherry tree, we want cherries. Then we go to apple tree, we want apples. You don't want to go to a cherry tree and find apples or vice versa. You don't want to go to apple tree and find cherries. You see, the reality is is that we need to understand that our lives are to betray Christ. Our lives are are, are going to betray whatever it is that we have in our lives. Luke 6.43 says this, A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. As we consider, as as, as it's talking about here in, in Scripture, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. As we consider our lives, if I'm a person pursuing Christ and I'm doing all I can for Christ, I can only show the world Christ. The world and Satan's going to come and attack us. But the reality is that we are in God's word. We can always fight and combat with what the word says. But here it is in verse 43 again says a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. So I want you to first of all consider this morning. What type of tree are you? Are you a good tree? Are you a bad tree? Are you a tree that's producing good fruit? Or are you a tree that's producing bad fruit? You see, this morning, this is the two types of people that we have. And I think the reality is, is that we consider this, and we consider this passage, this is a problem that we have in the church today. Because if we consider, when we look at what people say about the church, a lot of people say they don't want to come to church because the church is full of hypocrites. They see that the people in the church say one thing and do something completely different. There was a, a book that was published years ago called Unchristian by Dave Kinnaman. The author researched the idea the people who don't believe in God as it pertain to Christians and the church. One of the negative stereotypes of Christian was that they were perceived to be hypocrites. Like I said, this is what the world sometimes thinks about the church. The reality is no one likes a hypocrite. No one wants to come into a person who says one thing and does the other. The reality is, is that this is the type of people that give Christianity a bad name. As we consider verse forty four in the same chapter luke six forty four said this for each tree is known by its own fruit fakes aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush again as as we consider this the, the whole concept of fruit, when we go to a tree, we want to see whatever fruit that tree is supposed to be again, as a Christian, as you think of your life or you think of how you are you know, going about life, you want to produce good fruit. You want people to see Christ in your image. As we started off and we talked about, you are what you do. People see what you are by things, the actions that, and things that you do. A person who plays sports, a basketball, or baseball, they're going to practice. And they're going to do those things. As we consider, as we look at Hollywood and we see different people, sometimes we imitate those people and we want that to be our image. But as a Christian, we need to understand that our lives and our image is supposed to point people to Christ. People that see Christ in us. But the reality is, is that we too many times are not portraying Christ. Uh, we are supposed to be a good tree, but people are seeing the fruit. And this is a, a problem for us because some people are listening to this this morning, especially I, I hear young people say all the time, You can't judge me. But the reality is, as we consider this verse and we look at this passage, We can look at someone's fruit and see what type of person they are. It's not about don't judge me. The reality is that we can see the type of person you are by the fruit that you are producing. You see, I think too many times we we try to put an act on it. And I think that we we get offensive because, you know, when someone comes to us and say, well, I saw you doing this or I saw this on your social media account or whatever it is. People get offensive and like, oh, no, 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 you know, I just was doing this or I saw this on Facebook and I just shared it. And I saw someone, you know, the reality is, as we consider this. People portray what we are by the things we do. I think today in our world, we, we, uh, we are living in a whole different world because we have so many avenues to portray an image. We have an avenue of when people look at us on the outside and they see us as we go about our day life, wherever we go, whether it be in a restaurant, the mall, the movies, wherever it is, people see us and they see the type of people we are. But we also have the avenue of social media where people see exactly the type of person we are. Our Snapchat, our Instagram, our Facebook what, tweets, whatever it is, people see the type of person we are. And the reality is, is that we can, we can try to fool people. We can try to continue to put these things out there and try to, you know, let people think that we are this type of person. But what we are going to see is that the type of person is truly going to come out no matter what. And I think that for us as, as believers, we need to understand that our lives and everything that we do, we are to betray Christ. This is the image that we have to the world, not the things of, of the world but we had to betray Christ. As we look at next week, we are going to talk about this verse in in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. And and as we unpack this verse and we see that we can't hide the type of person that we truly are. I think that as Christians, we need to remember that as we look at God's word and we see the type of person we are, we should want to change. We should want to be changed and become more like Him. And we should want to be a tree that produces good fruit. And now today's Ministry Spotlight. Good morning, listeners. We're pleased you're tuned in this morning, and
0: in the recording studio with me this morning is my friend, Paul Worrell. Good morning, Paul. Good morning,
3: Pastor Rob. Pleasure to be here again.
0: Well, thank you. I was going to um, mention that God has given you and Denise, your wife, uh, two beautiful uh, grown men who are sons, and uh, I know that you both thank the Lord for them, um, Chris and Michael, and I thought it might be beneficial if you were to give a little thought to what the Lord has led you to do to, as their dad, um, how you've prayed that um, God has graced you with two sons that not only uh, trust Christ, but who really are sold out for him. So there are some dads listening, granddads listening. Uh, what would you share with us along those lines? Well,
3: I would begin from before the boys were born. This may sound a bit selfish, but I prayed to the Lord that I would have boys. Because I didn't think I would be able to handle daughters. Uh-huh. I felt I would just spoil my daughters. They'd have to be wrapped around their finger. But I could discipline my sons. Yes. The Lord answered my prayer. I also prayed a- another prayer before the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't want to die before my son's. No, Jesus Christ, is Savior, and they're able to take care of a family of their own. Nice. Well, they don't have families of their own yet, mm-hmm. but they do know the Lord. They sure do. So, he does answer prayer. Yeah. That's a proof. Yes. He hears and answers prayer. But a, a lot of the lessons I learned about being a dad, I learned from my father. Um, my father was always present, and he taught me by example. I never said my father was perfect. But he was always present and i really appreciated that Um, but one of the most important things that a father can do for his sons that would be of lasting import the first one would be to know jesus christ as lord and savior definitely in this day and age we need to stand for something and i think we need to stand for jesus christ Mm -hmm. but even after that we need to live that life that christian life before our children and it can't be a life of pretense can't be you know dad is perfect and i expect you to be also Mm -hmm. when dad makes a mistake be willing to admit it to his sons but show his sons how he deals with his mistakes when you bring things to the lord let your children see you bring them to the lord Um, when you don't know the answer and you seek the lord's guidance let your children see seeking the lord's guidance let them see that your life revolves around the lord Mm -hmm. to this day i pray with my children with my sons they aren't children anymore they're all grown i will pray with my sons um, and let them know that whatever i do for them or with them is a gift from the lord Mm -hmm. when my sons were growing up and they had difficulties both denise and i we would pray about it yes an environment that where christ is central is important it is very important um we are not in control of our children's salvation we're not in control of the decisions our children make we can definitely be a strong influence by the life we live before them and it can't be um, a hypocritical one yes. because they will see it very quickly. Yes. Spend time with your children. Spend time in the Lord with your children. But particularly with boys, love their mother.
0: Love their mother, love, love your wife.
3: Their mother, love your wife. And demonstrate it. My father loves his wife, loved his wife, and he demonstrated it. mm mm-hmm. Um, I therefore learned how to be a husband mm-hmm. and to be a father. You know, there are lessons that my father taught me that I use to this day. And they have nothing to do with the Bible. But he was interested enough to tell me these little gems, mm-hmm. not keep them to himself, so that he could be one better than me. I can remember him saying, Paul, when you're driving, look to the side of the road when the bright lights shine in your face. Yes. Because that's what my father taught me. He said, um, Rand, that's my father's name, and they used to ride bicycles then.
2: You know,
3: when the lamp is shining in your face, don't look at the other bicycle's lamp. Just look to the side of the road, follow the line.
2: For what it's worth,
3: my father
0: taught me that all the way up to Canada.
3: Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And he said, the other thing he said, Paul, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Mm-hmm. So... I live by plans, by Mm -hmm. scheduling, but those things you have to pass on to your children. The value of Scripture. One thing I told my sons, if you want to correct mom or myself, or you want to do something other than what we tell you to do, if you can prove that it's right through Scripture, you're free to do it. Mm -hmm. But otherwise,
0: our law is the law in the house. This is so helpful, so practical. I just wonder uh, if there's a man or men out listening to what we're talking about. Okay. And they are uh, mindful that that it makes sense, that that's the way they should go. But let's say their kids are grown or almost grown, and they say, you know, honestly, this has not been the kind of father I've been to date. Uh, is there hope for them? And, you know, what would you encourage them with? There's always hope um, in Jesus Christ. Yes.
3: Jesus Christ transforms lives. Um, The Holy Spirit is always in control. Mm -hmm. This may sound like a cliche, but take it to the Lord in prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, Seek guidance. You know, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask of the Lord. Yes. Um, When... I don't know what to do. I've never experienced this before. I just have to fall before the Lord in prayer, whether it's in business, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in being a good husband, and I have my challenges there. But I go to the Lord in prayer, and I search the scriptures, and I've never, ever come up short as a result. Amen. Never, ever. but. In the more specifically in the father-son relationship, let your son know this is what I'm doing. Don't let it be a secret. I have failed. We need to do better. I'm
0: going to seek wisdom from the Lord. Then incrementally, little by little, let the Lord change you. Absolutely. Before your children, before as your they children. watch. Oh yes. That's so good.
3: It may not happen overnight, but you have to be there for the long
0: haul. Yes, uh, someone taught me it's a long obedience in the same direction Absolutely. that we're shooting for. Absolutely. That's just wonderful. Well, I would like to thank you for uh, your thoughts and suggestions today.
1: You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at EOCradio at gmail.com That's EOCradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember... Everyone needs a savior.